Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screening to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. Tonight, this episode is a very special episode, because uh, this is coming hot off the heels of, we're in the 85 season, and we have declared that two of the three, no, t- the two greatest movies that we have ever watched for this podcast have Correct. come out in the last three weeks. And tonight we have the Goonies. And Goonies did, inarguably, come out in 1985. And nobody balked when we said it had to be in the Elite Eight. And so what I need to do as the host for tonight is I need to find people who maybe have seen Brazil and come and see. Maybe not. I don't know. But are going to take this episode, take this movie, with the seriousness that it and all other movies deserve. (laughs) And I am nervous right now when I bring out the the winner, the champion, the come and see destroyer, the thing that he has screamed to so many people, come and see. It's Greg. Greg, how Woo! are you? I am here, Ryan. It's interesting in the 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 way the weeks have gone. It went Brazil, then Breakfast Club, then come and see, and then Goonies. So it's like two of uh, you know Brazil and come and see what we said, like the greatest movies ever. But then two of the most popular movies of 1985. So it throws the show into into stark relief about like the different the different things we call movies. All everything movies can be. And Greg, do you want to? I don't know if we've done this. Do you want to reveal how we came up with the order for the Elite Eight? Uh, I believe it is the same order that the letters appear in the alphabet. That is correct. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's we've, the we've, cipher. Like the alphabet decided this is the order. Good and on that, you, alphabet. And then we have Mike. And Mike, before you talk, let me go through this. Um, Mike is a person who I've known for a long time. And please notice that I did not say friends. Uh, Mike is a person who uh, his favorite movie of all time is a Goonies knockoff. He is wearing a hat with a logo of a Goonies knockoff and for a long time has staked his personality on running around to people who did not ask, saying that the Goonies is overrated and stupid. Mike, are you going to do good on the show and win? I think I will do good. I think I will win. It's about analysis, not about how into a movie you are. Dialysis. This is, uh, yeah, you got to clean those kidneys out. This is a movie, <laughs> the one on my hat, not the Goonies, that uh, my wife finally watched last night and said, this is the movie you've talked about forever. This is the movie you had to get a hat about. So, yeah, I'm pretty ready for the Goonies. All right, just to clear it up, Mike is wearing a hat that says The Monster Squad, which did come out after the Goonies. And let's be honest, probably would not exist if no, not right? for the no. Goonies. It's definitely like, oh, I see the primary colors you're painting with. I can but put some artistry on that. I do think that Mike's wife is dealing last night with a lot of stuff that we're dealing right now, which is, you know, nostalgia. Like, did you watch this when you were the appropriate age? And if so, then you will love it forever, maybe. Or, if not, is it pure and total fucking garbage? <laughs> and and that's c- because, yeah, Monster Squad, I burnt that tape out. I think I, I saw Goonies as a kid, but there weren't monsters in it, so I didn't give a shit. And then I saw Goonies like 10, 15 years ago and I went, no, this movie sucks. I don't think this movie is the wor- as bad as I've said it is always, but I do not get the love. Capitalism is the monster, Mike. Jeez, I, I thought that was like so clear. I thought the movie couldn't be more clear. It contains a huge monster named Capitalism. Yeah, but there's no teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and another huge monster named Mouth, which we will get to later. But like, I ultimately think that he is the disgusting, despicable monster of the movie. 
I have always felt personally like I kind of pretend to be as into Goonies as everybody else is. My childhood, I saw it a few times, but when I was a kid, I was struck by something that that struck me upon viewing it this time as well, which is that like the first half of this movie is is pretty slow. Like it's it's like a bunch of kids hanging around, essentially just screaming at each other. And so when I was a kid, I it never held my attention until like I would pop in and watch them do the water slide. I would like look at the boat and be excited about about that. Um, but and you're talking about two things. Like you just said things that are like 90 minutes apart. Oh yeah, yeah. And then, and then there's just like not that much in between. Yeah. Um, but in every way that a movie could be made for kids, this movie is made for kids. And so it's a little hard for me to judge it now because it it, it is in no way approaching my current tastes or like what I want out of a movie or how I want it to investigate the world. It, it's it's just it's absolutely for children. And yeah, when I tried to put the nostalgia aside, because I definitely grew up in this movie. Like this was a monthly watch in my house i i i kept thinking about ebert's whole thing of like set the bar clear the bar uh-huh and you might you may not like where the bar was set but if you think the bar was set where i do like i think that it shot way way over it you know and so it, i don't know what to do with that it what it reminded me of is a movie that was huge in my childhood and i watched it a, a hundred times um and i never made the connection until this time and it's so bizarre that i didn't but home alone Mm-hmm. Um, the like sort of cartoonish violence against adults, and they just keep coming, and and you just keep knocking them down again. Um, and so in that way, never gonna keep them down. You're never gonna keep them down. They're all tub thumpers. They're all chumbo wombing towards you. But that, um, like the the cartoonish violence towards adults, the inventions, the cool gadgets, mm-hmm. and everything. I remember liking that as a kid, and I I feel like now when I look at it, I don't like it the same way. But I realize. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff kids are super into, and they don't care that this movie is absolutely ridiculous in every single way because they, they want to hear sassy kids like bettering but, the adults. Home Alone is an interesting one. It both have Chris Columbus involvement, right? So he's obsessed with kids destroying adults, but he discovered both of them. It he discovered them deep, deep in the tunnels. Uh, talk about watching sassy kids. One. Let's not do that. <laughs> no, I was going to say, one like shows you here's a kid who can be sassy and entertaining no matter how old you are, and one is the Goonies. Oh, uh, I disagree, my friend. You should watch Home Alone again. I that did motherfucking a couple years punk ago. is a punk. He's a punk, but he's less punky than Mouth, and he's more Brewster than anybody. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think Home Alone or Harry Potter would exist without the Goonies. Uh, because like anytime like they each have one skill set for each part of the puzzle, that is just the first Harry Potter movie. Yeah, so where I, they all have to combine to yeah, use like, their we powers each have one together. skill. <laughs> I also play the piano. I'm not sure what our job is tonight. I wish I was sure because I have to host this shit. But I think that what we're going to do is we're going to say, look, Brazil and Come and See are in this season. And so this is a different episode, right? First of all, that. Second of all, I'm going to try to put nostalgia aside as a reason for loving it or hating it. And then just sort of like maybe explain it. Like, what does the movie do well? Like, what? Yeah. Like, you do have to argue it did stick in the craw of generation after generation. And then, yeah, like what did it give, you know, what did it open the door for and why, and did it do a good job? And do we wish that it did not, you know, like if the Goonies never came out, we wouldn't have the monster squad, but we wouldn't have home alone. But would the world be better? (laughs) Like, wouldn't that be better if it just never came out? (laughs) I don't know guys. I don't know how this show is going to work, but I'm excited to start it. 
When we come back, let's get in to the Goonies. In June of 1985, the Goonies came out of nowhere to become one of the biggest hits of the summer, grossing $125 million on a $20 million budget. Based on an idea of Steven Spielberg's and directed by Richard Donner, although it's been debated what roles those two actually had, the Goonies tells the story of poor Oregon white trash whose house or houses are going to be taken away today so the two rich people in the neighborhood could have a golf course. The town or the single house or multiple houses have no choice but to trust a group of kids to find a treasure map, search for treasure, survive a family of gangsters, find the treasure, lose the treasure, hold on to one bag of treasure that has enough rubies or some shit to buy back their homes on the spot. The Goonies became a cult hit and a staple of the mid-80s in no small port in no small part because it combined the slobs versus snobs story that ruled the decade before it and the kids versus adult trope that was about to blow up. Taste buds, I ask you this. The summer of 85 gave us two Spielberg blockbusters, Back to the Future and The Goonies, neither of which he directed. What do they have in common as far as Spielbergian touches go? A lot of flash, a lot of razzle-dazzle, a lot of fun, action-adventure, combined with comedy so that you are having a rollicking good time the entire time and you're never thinking all right so so far greg you you feel like you've been paid by the studios to like come up with quotes for the poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's all yeah. there's no more room for the poster it's just a all high octane thrill a minute you know what you'll have to pay for the entire seat which is in retrospect kind of not fair because actually the movie being so engrossing you will only be using the edge of it i <laughs> If I should I say stuff like that or can I answer? That was the I would just say way I could say that. <laughs> Fireworks on screen. Uh, it is the heart mixed with wacky event. No Spielberg movie, I'm convinced now, is ever in any sort of reality. And yeah. the Rube Goldberg machines uh, of Doc, of Doc Brown and Data slash. I think the main kid Mikey also seems to have that ability. Like okay, they but also. Pee-wee's adventure had this. Like, yes, this was clearly a part, like a staple of '80s culture. Like you did the. We Rube talked Goldberg. about. We talked about last week. We talked about come and see uh, '80s quicksand making mm-hmm. an appearance. But even more popular than quicksand in the '80s was if you don't do something in a Rube Goldberg fashion, then it doesn't fucking count. And yeah, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was a movie that we kicked out of the Elite Eight. But it's basically all that the entire time. Is it crazy? People love this shit. Is it crazy Mousetrap wasn't a bigger board game then? Because this is all anybody was about, and it's the only well, no, game that's done it? It was huge, but like it never worked ever. Right. So I have a weird theory about why there are so many of these in these movies, and I think it's because there were uh, practical effects were everything. So you had to find work for these effects artists <laughs> to do to like keep them around and everything. And so I think they would add in elements like this because it kept these guys on the payroll. What I love, there's so much anyway. Once they get into the tunnels, there's so many booby traps and, uh-huh. and uh, little puzzles that they have to put together. But they're still like, no, not enough. Can one kid yeah. fly across the line to another kid's house? Can they not just open the gate? Can a bowling ball crash into a bunch of shit? Like- but this is one thing that I didn't notice as a kid is that uh, the way to One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship was designed by fucking Goonies. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. all Rube Goldberg bullshit. Well, that's the whole point, really, right? The whole point of the movie is that One-Eyed Willie is, like, their the original the proto-Goonie. Yeah. And the, the whole thing is Mike is, he's invested in this, like, con- Mikey's invested in this contest of intellect against a- an opponent 
that he respects. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they're dueling in a way. But really what it is is he's one of the Goonies. He's just like them. And he's kind of, honestly, he's the dungeon master. Yeah. And they are playing through his dungeon. And when they win, they feel good about it be- because it's like he's entered the, the, their group then. You know? Right. But, but what, what's so interesting is Mikey says that throughout it. And like, but when he's talking to One-Eyed Willie, like they're all Goonies, but Mikey is the Gooniest of the Goonies because they well, will we'll even make that. They'll, yeah, well, that's not an award, for the award. Mike. Shut the fuck up. For like, he's a Goonie. Even the other Goonies make fun of because he's <laughs> like, they're like, you're more adventure bullshit, even though they say they like it. And when he's like, One-Eyed Willie was the first of us, he's not talking about how One-Eyed Willie like slaughtered a bunch of people or murdered his own folks. But uh, so maybe that's why we're <laughs> the nervous around Mikey. <laughs> Mike. First of all, I can definitely relate to that because like uh, you can get people like on your page you know, doing what you want to do until there's a, the slightest hiccup, and then they will look to you and be like, fuck you, man! How could you ever do that? The other thing, too, is that Mikey seems all about the Goonies more than the actual goal, mm-hmm. where it seems like One-Eyed Willie was very clearly more about the goal, yeah. lots and lots of treasure, than the rest of the Goonies, well, who he just straight-up murdered. I, I, I do think Mikey realizes, like, this is their last day in town, and he keeps saying, like, no, guys, we could save the town if we do this. He is a smart kid. He's saying, no, guys, if we think about how we're, I'm moving tomorrow, we're all going to mope today. But if I keep saying we have to go on this adventure, all we're going to do is think about this adventure. And so that's Spielbergian is child kids do deal with loss. You got to inject that somewhere. And so you almost give them like their adventure is the MacGuffin yeah. itself because we're, all he's trying to do is have an adventure with them on their right. last day together. And so then it's kind of like the destination and the journey at the same time. Yeah. Almost like he's the guy that you need on in that movie of like last night of high school or whatever, where mm-hmm. if he's not there, then we all just sit there and we play Super Smash Brothers. Right. But, you know, like Mikey is the character who leads us on. I heard about that. this crazy party across town. So when halfway through, they're like, oh, there's a way out. He's like, but here's why we can't go all the way up. <laughs> like- oh, yeah. And he's so like. He's just like he—he's narrow-minded and he's focused until they are all about to quit and like go to like safety and showers. Like yeah. they could all get out, and he's <laughs> like, "Hold on, this is when I become impassioned and convince everybody to do this." And I mean, the one thing—the one of the ways in which I realize this is a kids' movie and it's not for adults—is because I spent my whole time watching it as an adult, being like, "Oh, it's so fucking dangerous." Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, I think part of why this movie is hard for an adult to appreciate is they are almost home free and he takes them deeper into those caverns and all I can think about is this should be the story about how this kid got like one of his friends killed. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, a Stephen King version of it. Definitely <laughs> chunk and data die. There are times where they're fighting the adults where like the old lady is holding a gun on the kids and it's like, oh she should just be shooting each of them. <laughs> yeah, right she's now. a bad criminal. Like, <laughs> it is not hard to kill a kid. No, it's it's really not. I want to get to the spiel Bergio-ness of this, though, because I also recently watched E.T., and in a lot of ways, this movie is the same. <laughs> uh, adults are morons. Kids are brilliant and action heroes, and when adults doubt you, go find more kids, even mm-hmm. if they look like a scrotum, right? And Goonies is that in a lot of the same ways, although it does feel like that in the mid-80s or early 80s, uh, Spielberg was like, E.T. will be good, I'll do that. Goonies will be dumb, I'll, I won't do that. <laughs> you know, like he was just picking and choosing his projects like that. But this whole idea of kids are sort of like randy and gross and they say bad things, but they're the ultimate heroes. Do you guys see that in the Goonies, like E.T. and Back to the Future? 
Or is this sort of like the worst exploitative version of that? I think what what this one portrays more than than even the others is for most of this movie, adults aren't a goofy bumbling presence. They're a non-presence. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like basically no adults throughout most of the movie, and you don't see the families that create these kids really. Right. And I think it's I think that's because, and we've talked about it. I think it's because in the eighties, they're like we were all latchkey kids. Both parents worked. They're just your parents weren't around as much, and a lot of times you were just fending for yourself. Yeah, Mikey's dad, who kind of sets it all off, like he obviously instilled this love of stuff in Mikey, is not until the end of the movie. And uh, the mom, who was just every bad fun kids mom in the eighties movies, I think her better role was in a little movie called The Monster Squad, where she plays the same role. She was totally in The Monster Uh, Squad. Yeah, she's the main kid's mom, uh, and she acts in that one. But like, she when she does show up, she is bumbling. Brolin is tied up, and she's like, "You work out weird," and like leaves the room when yeah. he's like struggling. Uh, she's horrible to Rosalita. Her she says she's gonna clean the house. Uh, she because she wants the house clean before it's destroyed. But she's also like, "And go grocery shopping for me." And like, she is she is a fucking Karen. She says, "Stupid well, uppity white lady." I don't think that she's the worst to Rosalita. There might be somebody who is oh, worse to Rosalita. Somebody's that worse we might to Rosalita, get to later. for sure. But, uh, and, and but the- you guys are forgetting about other adults. I mean, like, Mikey's dad has basically been the star of every cuck porno video I have ever <laughs> watched in my entire life. Uh, but we also have the Fratelli. Yeah. Who, those are three adults that are in the entire movie that you guys have not even mentioned. Yeah, they're the wet they're bandits. Es- they're essentially movie. Looney Tunes characters. Yeah. You know? They're essentially, it's not that, like, there's, like, kids versus older people. And, you know, because parents are stupid. And then there's also kids versus what they think adults are, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a bunch of Sylvester's and Elmer Fudd's. Yeah, but what's interesting is they're all, I thought it was interesting that they were a family. And they're a family called the Fratellis, you know? So it's like, it's really, they're a family underlined. <laughs> uh, and because it's a family versus like a found family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's where's the actual love? The Goonies actually love each other. The Fratellis all try to kill each other throughout the whole movie. Yeah, they're I like mean, it, the uh, Three Stooges. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of things that go between these dudes' legs throughout this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get crossed eyes, and they're like, oh, my, my balls. Do you know what's, uh, I feel like very pretty Spielbergian for a kid's movie is uh, the first scene is a suicide, even if it's fake. The first thing we really see in this movie is the opera singing for Telly hanging himself in the jail cell, and then there's arson. Uh, <laughs> and this is part of what I wanted to get into, is that it's hard to imagine now, especially because of Pixar, which is like, we make movies for everyone. And I'm not saying that they have suicides or families that get hit in the nuts, but <laughs> there was a time before 85 <laughs> where there were movies for five-year-olds or 40-year-olds, and there was nothing in between. Yeah, you know. And then this movie sort of was like, your your kids are going to love this and you're going to hate that they love this. Even Back to the Future is a movie that only adults are sort of going to get and laugh at, you know? This movie sort of kicked off this whole thing of like, if we can make fucking preteens say the word shit, we are going to make so much money. Which they clearly did a few different times. Yeah, like they, that's they, their favorite word. I feel like they got their money's worth in this. The 80s like was a time of really getting your money's worth for all your ratings. You know, you uh-huh. could get like boobs in a PG movie, but they say shit so much for it to be like kids. I'm surprised they got away with. What is this rated? It's PG? PG, yeah. I don't know if this was pre-PG-13, uh, but like the first word, anytime anything happens to Chunk, he's like, shit, shit. <laughs> it doesn't matter what well, it is. It's accurate. That's how kids fucking talk. 
Right, and that's the thing, in that, like, Richard Donner, the director, did not like the script. He thought it was too gross, but then he got to the set and watched all these kids hanging out, and he was like, oh, this, this script should be rated R. <laughs> like, the way that these kids talk to each other, it was all bad words all the time. Well, isn't the one of the most famous stories of this is that they didn't want to show the kids the ship until, like, they had it on film so they could, like, get their reaction and the first time they filmed it, the kids just turned around and everyone just said such horrific, like, <laughs> terrible Which, stuff. Like, oh, I fuck, it. look at this fucking boat. <laughs> this fucking boat's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So they actually had to be like, okay, well, stop. We're filming this. Don't cuss. I watched a ton of deleted scenes, but one thing that I did not watch was that first take. Like, just saying, like, holy fucking shit. Fuck me like, in the ass. Look at this fucking <laughs> ship. Feel like a stupid cunt just looking oh, at it. Oh, my dick's so hard. Look at that <laughs> shit. Oh, I'm, a, I'm in a fucking cam. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Martha Plimpton. Uh, I like. I get why you have to cut. Like you have to leave some scenes on the cutting room floor, but I I still think that that first take of them would have worked in the middle of the movie. Speaking of that, when we gave the rundown of what happened in the movie, uh, we forgot to mention the octopus. Yes. At some point, there, there's clearly an octopus in this movie, and they talk about it at the end, but I guess it just didn't make it into the final cut. Guys, there's you, you'll never know how bad a movie is until you're watching a movie that you didn't love and then see the scenes that were cut. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of Goonies scenes that don't look great anymore. Look a little dated, look a little <laughs> cheap, and then you watch them with the octopus, and you're like, oh, man. Actually, that movie was a masterpiece, because if they kept this <laughs> shit in, like it's... It's t- it's Ed Woodian. Isn't isn't that one theater got that cut and now since it's apocryphal, everybody who saw it in theaters has convinced themselves they were at that one theater. The way the scene ends is that uh, somebody swims down and puts their uh, cassette player, like the the Walkman, into the octopus's beak, and the music is so loud in eighties <laughs> that the octopus <laughs> goes insane and swims away. I love that. It's, it's fucking nuts. Good enough. All right. Does it does it though seem to gel at all though that this movie is sort of from the same brain as the guy who made the ET and Back to the Future? Yeah, I could see him getting railed because it's in the eighties on Coke and just coming up with eight ideas, but they're all variations of kids fight adults. And I he's like, like to think of him just absolutely getting <laughs> fucked coming up with ideas, <laughs> <laughs> but never breaking character. He's yeah. just like he takes a big line. He's like, "I want the camera over there. This is what would be best." I, but yeah, it's all, like it's clear that he had parental issues, which I think were done dealt with very well in ET. And then he sent Zemeckis and Richard Donner over here. Like, I don't have these fleshed out. You guys, you guys <laughs> go do these. Make these into movies. But yeah, I think it definitely. And watching them, it feels like action figure movies. Mm-hmm. It feels like cool play sets and then cool action figures and just watching somebody run them all around the, the, the set. For Goonies, not for Back to the Future. I don't know. Back to the Future, that whole, like, the, 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 the scene I'm thinking of with Back to the Future is, like, the big lightning strike scene. That's bigger than the movie itself. And really, it it's weird that it even exists in the movie. It's like they spend a lot of time with this manufactured crisis mm-hmm. of, oh, no, now the cord is unplugged. Like... It, it doesn't really flow with the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's a big set piece. So that has one thing that doesn't flow, where Goonies is a series <laughs> of episodes that, that doesn't flow. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rushmore. Rushmore. <laughs> 
Rushmore. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Mount Rushmore, a mountain with a lot of mountain, but no faces. We're <laughs> in the middle of the 80s, and I feel like that is, if I can remember correctly, the decade of scandals, right? Like, that was when... Scandal. This is when scandals were scandals. I didn't even know if we had scandals before this. And then all of a sudden, People Magazine's like, oh, we'll cover all this shit. And then we found out about all the scandals. But what scandals are specifically 1985? That's what we're going to do tonight, gentlemen. We're going to build a mountain to the scandals of 85. There can only be four. Mike, you're up. You lost last week, right? Yes. Correct. Yes. I thought yeah. you meant just Rushmore. I was like, I don't remember Rushmore, but, but he did. Yes, I, he I, did I lost the whole yeah. show, yes. No, he the whole show, the show. You, you did lose the whole show. I, d- yeah. I did lose the whole show. You were correct there, Ryan. By, you, a, good, uh, uh, by a good amount, a good lead Yeah, amount. the Come and See podcast that we did, you got far less point, far fewer points. Inarguable. Okay. <laughs> so you lost. Mike, what is your slam dunk 85 scandal? Uh, I'm going to say my slam dunk 85 scandal, uh, cause it was a series. I'm going to call it Sean Penn versus the press in 85. He both threw rocks at British journalists, uh, and then at his own wedding, went inside, grabbed a gun and started shooting at press helicopters when he was getting married to Ma- Madonna. So All right, he let's was take, in and out of the tabloids. Let's take the first one first. Uh, he threw rocks at the press were all of the press girls. And did he have a crush on each one? I, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't do that level of research. <laughs> and then shot at helicopters, yep, trying to get sh- married to Madonna, who he also allegedly tied to a, ta- a chair and beat the shit out of. That was a couple years later, but yeah. Th- was this he is like drug-induced psychosis? I think he's just a dickhead. Yeah, but some of this is like shooting at a helicopter. That's, yeah, that's at your wedding. Crazy. I mean, I know own- I went Groomzilla at my wedding, but I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> Well, in real life, it's not going to work. But in movie life, if you shoot it directly at that tiny yeah. propeller that's in the back, you can explode that entire He's thing. He's probably surprised it did not explode. I like how uh, Mike's wedding, he forces you to listen to him sing a song while he plays guitar. Sean Penn's <laughs> wedding, he forces you to watch him shoot at helicopters. <laughs> I would have so much rather been at Sean Penn's wedding. It showed. Uh, all right. So uh, I think that... Sean Penn in general is what we're going to do, right? <laughs> like, just, just the pen. Yeah, pen v. Press. Mike. Just the his whole deal. His whole thing. And then he was arrested, and he was taken to the Sean... Penitentiary? Penitentiary, yes. I remember I remember that story. Uh, Greg, you're up. Okay, some years... Uh, they like don't have scandals because scandals are like kind of fun. Like we just we were just joking out. We were just joking around about Sean Penn. We're just those. joking out. Yeah, we're just joking out. We're just joking out as friends. And eighty five had this mix of of both things that were just like fun and scandaly and like some pretty heavy duty things. But one thing that I'll never I think get over, and I don't know if people even remember that it happened, is Coca Cola decided. You know what? Know. This whole Coke thing is going really well. Um, but we're afraid that people like Pepsi more, and so we're gonna what we're gonna do is just like pour more sugar into in the name of love into Coca Cola, and they took like something that is like iconic and they changed it, and the public freaked out, and they freaked out so bad that when Coke went back to regular Coca Cola, their sales actually skyrocketed. I've heard so many people say that I. It was all a ploy. They wanted to boost sales of normal Coke. Yeah. And so they 
came out with new Coke, which they knew would be a failure, and then Coke sales boosted. Uh, we talk about, like, 2020 thinks it, it invented Karens. Like, Karens are coming out and saying, like, I'll never wear a mask. You should have seen the reaction in 85 with new Coke. People <laughs> fucking flipped. And I mean, it's, all, you, it's, like it's a, on it's the mountain. Like, it's an iconic, it, like, Coke is like an institution. Mm-hmm. So to change it, I guess people were just like, meanwhile, at the same time, the things that are being done to change society in such terrible ways, and nobody says anything about them. But you well, change it's not a sugary drink. <laughs> That's what I live for. What's dumb of them is to not offer both at once, to say you can never get that other thing you've loved for decades. Yeah, it's just gone forever. We're so sorry. We'll never do this again. Well, that was ultimately the failure of Crystal Pepsi, that both were offered at once. Yeah, and, and so then Pepsi didn't learn. Pepsi. In the mid-2000s, they came out with Wild Blue Pepsi, and it was fucking... I got it for free at a trial thing at a concert, and let me tell you, I wish I had just stayed thirsty, my At friend. this point, see, we don't remember, because at this point, there's like a million versions of every different product, but when, yeah. it, it used to be a big deal to do something like this, to bring in like a different flavor of the same soda. Now, you go into the store, and you say, sir, give me a Mountain Dew. He'll say, what kind? What kind <laughs> yeah. of Mountain Dew do you want? Have you guys had nacho, cheese, Doritos, ginger ale? Because I find it <laughs> delicious. Taco Bell's on a fucking hot streak. <laughs> Uh, Taco Bell does support Trump. Really? So, yeah. Oh, uh, I guess I won't be partaking the fourth meal any longer. I guess I'll just go back to eating my Goya beans. <laughs> I won't be diarying and not again. reading the news. <laughs> also, Goya beans is the official bean of anybody eating beans in a movie theater watching Cars too. So I don't know if you guys want to be a part of that. <laughs> that Goya's eating beans. <laughs> All right, Mike. I. Uh, Hot and heavy so far out of the gate. We already have two on. This is probably going to be a baby. All right, just so you know how Rushmore works. But yeah. what do you got? Uh, let me paint a picture. It's late 1985, and the Reagan administration thinks they're floating pretty. But then Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North diverts a portion of the proceeds from their Iranian weapon sales to fund the Contras, which they should not be doing. And uh, <laughs> even though Ronald Reagan was a vocal supporter of the Contra cause, he said he would never ever actually financially support them and uh yeah you, you know what fools it did and they called it <laughs> iran contra they did call it iran contra uh and this is like there's a video game right there's where... a nintendo game based on this <laughs> yeah loosely where... based on this where why didn't oliver north just go get those 99 lives like <laughs> yeah up down up down up. left right left right bas like start and he could have done it uh that's probably clearly the biggest scandal of the decade but oh, i'm gonna yeah. put it on the maybe pile <laughs> Here's what's crazy to me. And like this is going to sound so crazy that we're going to be like, that can't be true, and we're going to fact check it, and then we're going to find out it is true. The guy at the center of that scandal, Ollie North, the Trump administration brought that guy back. Yeah. No, he knows what's up. <laughs> Seriously, they brought that dude back. The biggest scandal of the Reagan administration. They're like, bring that dude in. He's got that Reagan powder on him. We love it. <laughs> He's got the mystique. All right, Greg. Um, that... That has a spot, but it's in the maybe for now. What do you yeah, got? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the biggie, right? That we did, <laughs> that we waited to introduce until fourth. That's um, the eighties, and let's keep in mind that Mike went first. Yeah, and still picked Sean Penn over that one. Uh, okay, well, we've got the Sean Penn, we've got the new Coke, and then we've got baseball Coke. Uh, in nineteen eighty-five, there was a huge baseball scandal. Uh, and it was centered around the Pittsburgh Pirates and a few players that were just buying a ton of blow and selling it to, like, everybody. But experts say that they believe that as much as, like, 40% of the league was, like, not just doing... Because this is 85. So it's not just, like, oh, that person does cocaine. Like, 
doing cocaine all day nonstop before games during games and during if you rem- if you remember in the outfield we, we just watched that um michael jordan documentary yes this is my favorite part of the 10 hours of documentary and apparently in the like 80s guys were just doing coke non-stop like michael jordan goes dream. to a, a player a, a fellow player's room and there's like hookers and blow in there uh but yeah like a, a whole bunch of guys actually got in trouble in baseball for like being cocaine salesmen. And Michael Jordan's so fucking crazy that I don't know whether to laugh at him or believe him when he says, I would spend every night in my room, and then one night out of 100, I walked up to this party room, and they were like, oh, let's give him some blow. And I said, no, thank you. And then he went right back downstairs in part of his documentary. But according to him, everybody was more cocaine than human being at that point. (laughs) Yeah. And Golden it, years. Frankly, I think we're all lucky that no one said to Michael Jordan, I am better at doing this cocaine <laughs> than you are. <laughs> because if anyone had stepped to him like that, he'd be like, motherfucker. We would have lost him that year. Dude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, that's a good one. So we have Iran-Contra and MLB Coke on the maybe. Mike, what do we got? Let's do one more each. One more each. Okay. I got two that are pretty close. If, I mean, gate signifies... Don't huge do scandal, one. right? Don't do that one. And I can think of nothing bigger. Like, we keep it narrow and America-focused, but I can think of nothing bigger scandalous than 1985's Tuna Gate. <laughs> the Canadian political scandal involving large quantities of tuna that had been declared <laughs> unfit for human consumption, but the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans, John Fraser, still sold them to the public just so he could make a buck or two. Tuna Gate. Um. Did you guys notice that Supermarket Sweep is on Netflix? Uh, I watched the first episode, and one of the contestants says, uh, like, Paul Newman shit, what do you make? I'm going to say, uh, Paul Newman's rigatoni sauce. <laughs> and that is definitely wrong, because that's not a thing. And then the person next to her says, oh, I think I can get this. Paul Newman's rigatoni sauce. I still love the word rigatoni. I still love that. Because... <laughs> Like, do you guys think that the only thing that uh, what are rigatoni noodles? Are they big? Those are they are little wheels. Little wheels, and they have the red sauce. But the thing that they're missing is tuna, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So let's get some rigatoni up in here, uh, Mike. That's not going on. Greg, what do you got? Uh, okay, so I just have to say, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna. These are not the ones that I'm doing, but this is the year Bob Knight threw that chair, and that's kind of a, a big story. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but 85 planes were crashing like every two weeks, uh, including like the biggest plane crash in the history of plane crashes where 520 people died. Planes were absolutely falling from the sky. But, and this is not a fun one, this is one of the most scandalous things that ever happened uh, in Philadelphia, where Mike is from. Wait, that's um, my thing. Shit. There was like a, a black liberation group that holed up in a house and Philly could not get them out of the house and so they flew a helicopter over the police flew a helicopter over this guy over the the, this house and dropped a bomb that was 85 that was 85 yeah so they bombed like a block the bombing of move and the the resulting explosion and fire destroyed like 60 blocks or something like that the police bombed from the air a group and it's a little bit germane to now where we have like these paramilitary groups in Portland, like just going and scooping people up and everything. This is the advanced military tactics that we saw. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> not true. that's Greg's point. Uh, yeah, that one's hard to beat. Uh, 60 blocks, you said. What about I, when 
Maybe Austria not. Put, maybe sixty. That sounds like an exaggeration. It didn't blow up sixty blocks, but like. It, well, what it, if it's sixteen? Even if it's sixteen, that's what yeah. I think it is. I think I'm I. I, I'm, I know I'm a little liberal, but I don't think the police should blow up a block in a city. Let's see. Actually, I have the link here, so I can actually look at how many, how much damage did because I don't want to go crazy. Because, but it, but it was a ton of damage. It killed like sixteen people. Um, like. I have the uh, the mountain. Do you guys want to get anything off your chest before we move on? No, yeah. I'm done. Uh, Every, we all remember the diethylene glycol wine scandal from Austria, where they p- started putting antifreeze in their wines to make them sweeter and more like late harvest wines. That was crazy. <laughs> it, the, both this and the tuna gate thing are crazy, though, because they are both so blatant. Like, yeah. the, the tuna gate one, that guy was just selling rancid tuna. You're obviously going to get caught doing that because people are going to take that tuna and then eat it. Like, you're not going to get away with that. That's not. A I good didn't plan. ask them what they were going to do. Is that on me? <laughs> All right, so your Mount Rushmore for 85 scandals are as follows. Sean Penn, his entire year. <laughs> New Coke, the Philly police, and Oliver North. That is your mountain. When we come back, we're going to get back into the Goonies. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Spirited Away. Princess Mononoke. Peter Pan. Labyrinth. Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> The Goonies. What is the Goonies? Have to. How is the Goonies like an allegory for puberty, if it is at all? And I hope it is, because otherwise, this is a short segment. I think there is a way in which puberty makes a Goonie of us all. Uh, <laughs> puberty is <Fuck> like. It. <laughs> That's <pretty different. laughs> um, it. I like. I think we forget as adults, but that like sort of pupating experience of just like hormones pouring into your body you become you are a monster Mm -hmm. you're just like you're incohate you're not one thing and you're not the other you're like in a state of becoming and it's monstrous and it makes you so awkward and terrible and the only thing you really have is like the other awkward hormone monstrosities right around you every time you're being funny you're disgusting Every time, yeah. you're like, every time you're being, like, uh, extroverted, you're gross. Every time you're being introverted, you're gross. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're, like it is a no-win situation. You can't even speak at a normal volume. Like, like the, and if you listen to the kids in this movie, part of why it's hard to watch this movie as an adult is because they don't speak to one another. They scream, scream at each over other each other. Because that's what kids do. Because they have no control over the volume of their voice or how they're supposed to craft any sort of, like, social. Cogent thought. Yeah. <laughs> But Mike, what do we call that? Right? Like if everybody's talking over each other. Oh, it's very Altman esque, I would say. It's Altman esque. Donner obviously like, can I make a Altman movie with kids? Uh the thing is I think if you can rewatch McCabe and Mrs. Miller and get different things throughout it. I don't know if there's any point in rewatching the Goonies and be like, Oh, this time I'm gonna pay attention to mouth while he's screaming over Mikey. This time I'm gonna pay attention to data. Uh, I feel like that the Goonies has as much to offer as Nashville or The Player or MASH. Yeah. I I do think think if this is an allegory for uh, puberty, there's a reason they send Chunk away. It's not just that we need uh, B-roll 
uh, like a B plot. <laughs> it's that he is a little younger in what he's going after. Then I'd say Mikey, Josh Brolin, and Mouth all all at different times definitely show more fighting on the edge of puberty. There, Mikey to me seems like the like he in the same way that they're all about to be moved away from their home. I feel like Mikey. This is like his last day of childhood. Yeah, like I mean, he he himself is being moved away from. <laughs> being a kid into being an adult and we see it happen whether yeah. we feel comfortable with how it happens or not when he's tricked about. sort of into kissing andy when he is tricked and yeah this nice little 80s weird sort of like you got to kiss a woman under fraudulent circumstances it's, but no like creepy. i do think i think that's an important point though because mikey is in the middle like he is the one who convinces uh mouth and data and chunk to be older a little bit older than they are and brand and andy and staff to be a little bit younger than they are you know like everybody come to me and then we can have this adventure why which is why like i think the internet is rampant with theories of this is a solo mikey adventure like Like they all died (laughs) or or you know like they're uh, a bunch of angels and devils on his Uh shoulder or whatever you want to do but like this is mikey's Fever dream, basically. Like imaginary little adventure. And not even on. fever dream because Mikey's on the on the last day of the time where you can go into your backyard and be seven people mm-hmm. and yeah. have your own imaginary adventure. You know, like this is the this is probably the last moment where Mikey can do that. So in his highest imagination, he gets to steal a kiss under creepy circumstances under the, his brother's girl. Mikey's a fucking creep. No, I don't think so. I mean, like, I know that we like pointing those out, but like, there was multiple points where Mikey could have been like, "Whoa, Andy, hold on, here's the situation," and didn't. No, and that's what I, I said. Yeah, and I think this is the first time where it's understandable and not mm-hmm. totally disgusting. Oh no, yeah, it's a little. I, I, if on that scene, if we're gonna blame anybody, it's Martha Plimpton and Brand. Josh Brolin are the two who orchestrate that accidentally or not. But Martha Plimpton definitely fully knows what's going on. It's just like, I'm going to laugh, I just a good I, friend. I 100% just blame 80s culture. What This mm-hmm. scene in and of itself it is not uncom- It's not really that uncomfortable. It's not that bad. But it's because it exists in a constellation of scenes that are really bad. I feel like this is another 80s or 90s, like sometimes because of a mishap, you get to kiss a pretty girl. And it does creep me out. I yeah. think it's it is gross. Well, I mean, there's another one too that is, I don't have asthma anymore. Yeah, he decided you know, like, not to have asthma. <laughs> uh, he has an inhaler the entire movie, and at a certain point, when it's time for him to go from like almost hero maybe to definitely hero, I'm gonna throw away yeah, my inhaler. This is tied to wh- childhood, which is that that is a trope. That's a moment where like you know, uh, usually it's alcohol where the alcoholic will throw the bottle on the ground and say, I don't need this anymore. But I'm so nervous about all the kids with asthma thinking that, like, that's going to be <laughs> this the was thing the they lo- need to do. It was the start of the anti-vax movement. They're like, oh, just believe in yourself hard enough and you don't need that medicine. Mikey's lungs grew three sizes <laughs> that day. <laughs> you know what's fucked up about Mikey, if we're just doing this for a second, is uh, when he first <laughs> sees, he, he meets uh, Sloth before Chunk does, and he's just like, gotta get that treasure. He does not care that there's a grown person chained up. He just looks at him, goes, okay, and keeps running through. Well, yeah, I mean, because he knows that he is the Mama Fratelli of the Goonies, not mm-hmm. the Sloth of the Goonies. And the reason that Chunk connects to Sloth is... Chunk knows that, like, oh, yeah, oh I sure. found the chunk of Neither of us have human names. <laughs> well, his whole plan there, I, I don't think it's this nefarious, but, like, he, part of what he's aligning there is he's going to bring in 
someone lower than him, someone newer. Yes, absolutely. Someone more messed up, right? So it's now he's going to get a little bit less. I don't think that's going to work out for him, though. I think they're going to like Sloth a lot more than they like. Yeah, he Sean. has great fashion sense. He looks like he should be skanking in a sky He's band. super strong. He's he could probably strong. buy them porn. Well, hold on, though. Like, we, we do have to realize that uh, Chunk, without talking to anyone, moves Sloth directly into the house that he lives in yeah. at the end. So we'll see how that goes. Does Chunk have the foremost case of Aquafina voice of any child actor you've ever heard? <laughs> he also, even though they're all obviously from Portland or from like Astoria, he clearly sounds like he's from Chicago. Hey guys, how you it's doing? It's just the amount of hot dogs he eats. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out that if a movie is about kids these a- this age, then it has to be about puberty or it was purposefully about puberty and we have to figure that out. That's where I am right now. And so there's a couple things I want to talk about. The first one is the statue of David. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, they break a statue of David. Only the penis comes off, and yeah. then they put it on upside down. The dick and balls. Is that <laughs> all? I'm sorry, yeah. It's not just the pee-pee, yeah. but also the ball ball. Uh, is that all just for laughs, or are we trying to read something here? That they're well, just the, hard the whole time? I mean, you know, I, I think that it it's both things, right? Like, it is funny because it's the dick and balls of a classic statue, but I think it's hard to not notice that. Like, and also, when they turn it upside down, suddenly the dick seems to be like pointing up. Right. It now seems and, like an erect penis. And to double down on this, if this is a, a, a puberty allegory, they're chasing one-eyed Willie throughout the whole movie. Yeah. They're after I mean, it, that dick. It has to be a puberty allegory. They're they, it's whether or not they're going to be moving on. I mean, it, it's and they're allowed to. They're allowed. They can stop one part of moving on, but they can't stop the other. I, I think that it's not just incidentally about puberty. I think it is like about and, that. And there's like dangers of puberty on the corners right. of this. There's a, right. it, this isn't because it's not our hero doing it, but it, it's definitely creepy is uh, Troy keeps moving his mirror to ogle Andy. And then when she's having her panic attack, she's like, I should have just let him do what he wanted to do. Yeah. That would have oh, been better than this. Oh. This, Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if this is ruining an award later. Cause we do have cringiest moment, but uh, Andy is really trying to figure out if she is going to go with, uh, the guy who has all the money, but she knows is an asshole, or Brand, and like who rides has, little girls' bikes. She has dates with Brand, but is still hanging out with Troy for yeah. no reason. I don't know, like if they're neighbors or friends or boyfriend girlfriend or whatever. And then when she flips out, when she like when she may or may not be a goonie, and we have to wait until the end of her freakout. Uh, the whole time she's saying, "I could have just been with Troy. Wouldn't it have been better if I was just with Troy?" But it's not just that she says that. She goes into detail of the gross stuff he was starting to do. If he wants to, to look down my shirt, yeah. it's okay. And I mean, if on your first date you are grabbing the the center mirror of the car and trying to use it to look down someone's shirt, that's a real that's a big red flag because yeah. you're but already then, really pushing it. The other thing is Steph though, is cuz like the reason like you have a friend like Steph is to keep you from those situations and Steph's like, "Hey man, we're in the we're in Troy's convertible, so it doesn't matter. Like we just got to <laughs> roll with it." <laughs> it's i think it's part of the 80s messed up priorities that where it's like to us that seems so much worse to us it seems like that's as bad as it is to them they're just like well she's only like an ancillary character in the movie mm-hmm. anyway if she were the protagonist that would be different but she's only like a secondary character anyway so do they do andy and steph rise above mouth and mikey like do they become full-on main characters I'll tell you, there's one there's one thing that I really respect the movie did, which is um, when Mouth and, um, what's her name, His the one that he's 
interested Steph. in. When they go to kiss at the end, instead of kissing, they just hug. Yeah. Uh, that that honestly, I thought that was the best moment. It's so awkward watching child actors kiss. They should yeah. just hug like that. They should smile at each other and they give each other a big hug. And because like the three years that they're apart now doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but then that it's, is a lifetime apart. That's yeah. a big. That's yeah. a big difference. That's three long years. <laughs> All right. So. I don't know. I, I do think that it tried on purpose. Whether it was successful, I don't know. But like, I do think that they were trying to do something with puberty, yeah? Yeah, but oh, I yeah, think that the, sure. the slapstick of it got in the way. Like, naming it One-Eyed Willie. Like, the whole movie is a dick joke. Like, and that kind of gets in the way if you're trying to say anything thoughtful about puberty. And I, I think that Mike. I think that the movie has a, a little bit of a problem where it's constantly stepping on its own messages. It's messy to have it be about how they're going to have to move on, but then in one way they don't have to move on. That like mm-hmm. it's 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 awkward to have the movie both be about like moving on and not moving on at the same moment. And this is not a smooth movie. Like this is not <laughs> the movie that's going to like make those transitions easier. Uh, all right, so we're going to take a break and when we come back, we are going to do the five that's right, folks. It is the five. This is the segment where we take five archetypes and imagine if they got their own movie about them in 1985. So does that does that make you guys change any of your picks? Because this is about 85 right now. I'll never change my picks. Me I just either, wrote, I guess. I just wrote who the person was because a lot of these are timeless. So like, I was like, Batman. Who would be best at Batman? And I was like, Bruce Wayne, Bruce right? Wayne. Batman. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Who's the best Marilyn Monroe? Marilyn Monroe, best in the game. Some of these may be confusing, so I'm going to ask you guys to uh, explain them, uh, and we'll alternate. So, Greg, you're going to start. What does Batman mean to you? This is a. Here's why I like Batman, because I feel like he's so many different things. He's the world's greatest detective. Um, he is like karate fighter MD. He's like the <laughs> premier uh, strategist. He had uh, karate fighter MD as a name, and then went yeah. with Batman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he also has an answer for everything and an aversion, except for a brief period in the 30s, to guns. And in '85, the guy who had an answer to everything was great with gadgets and would never touch a gun. Was MacGyver. Uh, <laughs> MacGyver one time touched a gun and he used it to just like as a wrench. He like took the bullets out of it and took the, the <laughs> revolving part out of it. And then he just used it as a wrench. But it was just like, no matter what situation MacGyver got into, he's like, give me a paperclip and some, some toothpaste. And that's the, the Batman does that. He's the guy with gadgets as well. A lot of these superhero archetypes, like, do you go with Clark Kent or Superman, Bruce Wayne or Batman, uh, Peter Parker or Spider-Man? And Greg, you went with, both and it's borderline impossible to beat but i'm gonna go to mike <laughs> now and we'll see what happens i think so like the batman before this was adam west camp batman there obviously needed to be a retaliation so in 89 we got tim burns like weird twisted batman would you guys be stoked we... would you guys be stoked if your parents sent you to camp batman <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> i see you learn all the stuff he learns maybe you spend a week in a pit that's fine uh but I think Batman has to have a strong jawline. In 85, they were starting to be about youth culture. He has to be like a little uh, psychologically messed up. And I think Rob Lowe would be a fucking phenomenal. He was a sex pot. Batman is, sex- is a sex pot. And I think the young Brat Pack's version of Batman, Bat- Brat Pack Batman, would have been Brat great. Brat Batman. Uh, yeah. But, you know. Greg. 
Yeah, no, it, it is clear who you decided who you wanted to win this show <laughs> My guy. early on. Was that clear? Mike, you're going to go first with this next one. Explain to me what a, like what Marilyn Monroe means across all generations. It, it is this uh, like a vivacious sex symbol that also can be innocent at times, cannot be innocent. Uh, it, 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 for all good or ill, depending on who's watching her, throws what it means to be a woman at her. Okay, I still think this is sort of Rob Lowe, but what do you think? <laughs> oh, it's Rob Lowe. It's uh, I think eighty five for who it is, especially because like she purposely lived it. It's Madonna, man. Yeah, Madonna like has had many different iterations, and it seemed like in eighty five she was leaning very heavily into the Marilyn Monroe version. This is also my answer. And I think there's a lot of things too, like uh, the Britney Spears that would happen, you know, fifteen years later of like. Do you get what you're doing? Like, uh-huh. who put you, did you decide this or did somebody put you up to this? But I'm not sure how I should feel about it because I feel weird when I feel hot about it. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so we'll give that to Mike. Uh, Mike. Greg, yes. Wonder Woman. What is Wonder Woman through the ages? Um, sort of out of time hero, um, you know, honorable and always wants to do the right thing but not of this world of a different world and and a sheltered life um so um and just heroic can can battle with the the best of them but very virtuous and i'm going with brigitte brigitte nielsen Mm -hmm. in red sonia um a movie that i thought was attached to the conan the barbarian universe but then poking around on the internet i've got the feeling that it's just actually that arnold schwarzenegger is in the movie red sonia and i got confused but he's um, not conan but he's not conan he plays like some like lord calador kindergarten cop uh it's lord not calador, kindergarten cop. but bridget nelson is statuesque and um still beautiful and she reads as legitimately like a fierce warrior like this is a woman who if you hand her a sword you you wouldn't want to fuck with her and then because of the by virtue of the fact that she is from a different country has that sort of you know that that foreigner presence um so it comes from a different land and is like a statuesque warrior (laughs) that was one of the things that was missing in uh a movie that Mike and I just reviewed called The Old Guard on the Superhero Show Show, where Charlize Theron is this immortal warrior, but no matter what time she's in, she's always like, whoa, what is up right now? Like, this is so <laughs> crazy with a worn jet. I have to say, this violence is not tubular, my bros. <laughs> Timeless. <laughs> Who's your 85 Wonder Woman? Uh, my 85 Wonder I think I think a big part of Wonder Woman's personality also is intimidating to men while being attractive. Love and it. I think for 85... Uh, and the broad shoulder is it's Kathleen Turner, man. She is in eighty five is a cut up, and she's scary as hell in the best way possible. What coming hot off the heels of Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile? So in those movies, she was sort of like you know she was like this husky, broad, but like sort of like figured out. Yeah, but was also damsel in distress. You think that she could pull it all together and just like be the warrior? Yeah, this is no damsel, no distress. All Wonder Woman, baby. So maybe you're the one who's distressed. I'm still going to give it to Brigitte Nielsen. Mike, what is the Universal Annie Hall? Hats, mostly. Uh, I think hats have a big part to do with it. Can you pull off a hat? Do you have short hair that fits nicely under the hat? A vest, for sure. Hat, vest, combo. And Uh, each of these hats say Annie Hall on the hat? Yeah. Uh, Quirky fashion sense. Uh, Yeah, like... It's like proto hipster, right? It, it, it's it's smart and knowledgeable, but not necessarily intimidating intellectually. 
So if we were doing like 93 right now, it's just Blossom, right? You're just it's describing Blossom. Blossom. All right, who is your 85 Annie Hall? I think Molly Ringwald would crush as Annie Hall in 85. Why? Uh, I think, one, uh, she's proven in her movie she looks great in hats. Uh, her hair color is very similar to Annie Hall's. She could rock the fashion sense and make it not look like a costume very easily. And I think she can do the uh, back and forth in the 85 versions of back and forth that Annie Hall brings. But, yeah, I do like it, too, because it's not typical hot girl. Like, right. Molly Ringwald is not the Marilyn Monroe of, yeah. of 85. Like, she's weird and she's quirky and she, you don't know what she's going to say. She's going to she dance weird. Because she, she, she doesn't know how to dance and she's really asking you, please don't make her dance. Uh, but she's not going to, like, default to that, like, breathy, mm-hmm. sexy trope, you know? Greg, what do you think for Annie Hall? I, I think there's a, an, an element of a little bit more openness to Annie Hall than Molly Ringwald uh, has. I'm going for Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, kind of, like, quick-talking, New Yorker, charming, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of openness, maybe, like, kind of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but but meaning what she says um, and she was in what was it? Um, Girls don't cry or no wait, that's terrible. Uh, Cindy, girls just want to have fun. fun. Cindy yeah. Lauper, yeah, let's go back to Cindy Lauper. <laughs> and Greg, uh, you have an older sister. Was this movie? Oh my god, my sister yeah. is yeah. My sister loves Sarah Jessica Parker. I think that she wishes that like she had been born Sarah Jessica Parker, and so I have like that inherited love of her. She almost feels like another one of my sisters. <laughs> uh, and um. So, yeah, and it was because of the movie um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Like, she watched it so much when I was a kid. Uh, Both great. But I do think that because we have no, you know, like, we haven't done any SJP for this uh, season. I'm going to give it to Mike. Mike. Uh, And then your final one is Jimmy Stewart. Greg. Yeah. What does this mean? What does it mean to be like a Jimmy Stewart? I think it means that um, you are intelligent and your heart's in the right place, but you're kind of bumbling. You don't quite say it the the right way. You kind of are falling all over yourself. The performance of a lot of your lines is a little bit stuttery, and that gives it like a real down-home charm. And for me, that all adds up to Michael J. Fox, um, you know, giving you like a real sweet, a real down-home vibe, but at the same time, clever um, but never quite like saying things exactly the right way so that the his cleverness is something the audience experiences more than the other people in the universe of his movie experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, Mike, <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, what are you going to do after that? Yeah. I, the every man is, I, I think there's a darkness in Jimmy Stewart that people, when they think about Jimmy Stewart, don't think about, but going back and watching his stuff, he is often angry or at least very sharp, like his persona, remember persona isn't that, but in his movies, his characters all kind of hate what's going on. It's well, a wonderful life is what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's just such like, edge to that performance. The Philadelphia story, he's also very much like, fuck all this bullshit. And I think like having that ch- friendly, charming nature with a little bit of anger underneath, I think Dan Aykroyd in the 85. Was, wait, was Philadelphia story the one where he was a cop that bombed an entire neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah that that's was- where they got the idea. Okay, yeah, I could see the Ackroyd sort of like left SNL to be sort of that everyman, humbly bumbly guy. But I mean, Michael J. Fox, this is, he made his career on it. You know, like he was like, I don't have to be big and buff. I'm just going to be like, uh, your mom is going to like me as much as you like me. And that's how it's going to work. So we're going to give it to Michael J. Fox. So, (laughs) Spin City Bro, your (laughs) 
That, that should probably be a drop. Uh, your uh, five for 1985 Batman is MacGyver, not Richard Dean Anderson, just straight up MacGyver. Uh, your Marilyn Monroe is Madonna. Your Wonder Woman is Brigitte Nielsen. Your Annie Hall is Molly Ringwald. And your Jimmy Stewart is Michael J. Fox. I do not think anyone could ever do it better than that. When we come back, back to the Goonies. Gentlemen, character breakdown. There are so many Goonies in this movie called The Goonies. <laughs> so let's go through them. And we, There's only one place to start. Despite fears of comparison to myself, should Mouth have just been murdered? How much, like, how much does he stand out compared to the rest of the Goonies? It's interesting thing about Corey Feldman's career because this is generally who he always plays, right? He's always like the smart Alec. But like, think, we talked about Home Alone earlier, where I do think Kevin McAllister, uh, played by the incomparable. What's that kid's name? Macaulay Culkin uh, <laughs> is a lot more natural as the little punk kid who can't yeah, shut man. up. And Corey Feldman, I do not get that naturally off of him. No. And he's not good. One part that I like did not remember from when I was a kid is when he first gets to the, uh, I don't know, the main household. Yeah. And he's just like, hey, how you doing? What's up? Desi Arnaz reference. Here, yeah. I'm going to knock a vase over. I just took a shot of vodka. I just put my penis in your cat. Hello. Uh, I have Borat reference. It's non-fucking-stopping. Terrible. It, and it, the I movie is relying on him. Like, basically, mm-hmm. the movie is like, all right, kid, take it away. And it's like, you can tell he feels that pressure, and he has no yeah. idea how to deliver. And, yeah, he's not a comedic actor. He's not a comedian. He just has that face that makes you think he would say punchable things. But because you're not clever with timing, it's only punchable. I think what he wants to do is I think he wants to deliver really, like, subtle emotional performances. And they're just like... That's his real life because uh-huh. that's like the bad stuff that's really going on in his life. And what they want is they want him to be like to just yuck it up, and he just that's not his skill set. Was and it Stand by Me that did it for him? Like what put him first? Stand by Me is after this, isn't it? But like, yeah, he was a star. This was roughly the same year. I'm going to say as Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New <laughs> Beginning. Um, and oh, he yeah, plays Tommy. Like, I do think that he was famous at this point, you mm-hmm. know, and like he was probably as far as the kids go, like more famous than your Josh Brolins and your Martha Plimpton. Pre Thanos? <laughs> yes, this was pre- well, nothing's pre Thanos. <laughs> uh, but like yeah, he came in there and he was like, "Oh yeah, I got it." I would say that after the first 45 minutes, he does settle down cuz then he can he- react to what's going on instead mm-hmm. of like causing And it. he he doesn't become a good actor, but he is clearly like doing monologues from a script that was written for him and trying his best as opposed to the first 20 minutes which is really hard to watch yeah you know it it reminds me of when you see somebody like they're on a show where they're playing a stand-up comedian Uh and then as part of the show for whatever reason they show that person trying to do stand-up and it's obviously a very different skill so an, an actor can't do it just because they've seen somebody do it and it's like he is not it doesn't seem like a a a joker really and so he's Mm -hmm. seen people do it but it just doesn't come naturally to him at all. Mouth is also responsible for saying, what are you, Latina? I'm going to fucking fuck with you and scare yeah, the living yeah. shit out of you. And he's also responsible for saying, what are you, my friend, but you're fat? I'm going to make you dance before I will let you into this house. Well, and the other ones, like, sort of like, they don't, I guess they don't want Mouth to turn his mouth on them, but they're still like, don't do that. But they don't really push back that hard at anything he's doing. He's Joe Which Nelson is why Chunk, this, right? is so, Chunk yeah. is so, like, trying to find a Jerry. So he doesn't yeah. have to yes. be the chair anymore, you know? 
And that's it. I think that's what Mouth is doing with everybody all the time, because I think actually he is like the Judd Nelson character in this. And it's he has to be like razzing people constantly mm-hmm. because he's afraid he's going to get pushed to the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, because when but all we their do... parents show up at the end, does Mouth's parents show up? I can't I'm trying to remember. they were like at all. They are there, but just like in the beginning, his dad brings a broken pipe and just sprays his yeah. face with water. He just like, and his dad walks up and in one motion takes off his belt and smacks him across the face with it. That's horrifying. I think he had a pretty good, like, it was an okay life. Like, he's the son of a plumber, and I think we're supposed to believe, like, is there anything worse? Yeah, it's so funny. It's weird how when you're an adult and you hear that somebody's a plumber and you're like, man, that's like really good hours and that's a good union. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, the retirement. You can't tell me that somebody is like a, a, a heating and air conditioning specialist and not have me go like, damn, that's awesome. Kids oh, may not want it. Sweet. Yeah, maybe kids don't <laughs> want it, but dude, that's fucking good work. As Mike mentioned before, Chunk ran away as if this was a TV show and we needed a B-plot. <laughs> Does this make the movie worse, or were you just rolling your eyes every time that Chunk took over the screen? I hate Chunk. Um, <laughs> we ultimately we hate the things that remind us of ourselves, and from the this vi- is why I hated Mouse so much from the beginning of of That's my why his- I hate Josh Brolin. I guess. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> my Sloth. history with this movie is hoping to God nobody will compare me to chunk mm-hmm. or nobody will tell me to do the truffle shuffle yeah it feels so cruel that adults just put things in kids movies yes as weapons for other kids <laughs> like that I, uh, the i was i mean i was the kid that when yeah. he came up to his group of friends Same. they immediately start turning turning around and either trying to get him to just go away or make fun of him like your the the price of your staying was they make fun of you non-stop mm-hmm. uh and so like i and instead of then, but that doesn't make me feel pity for him. I, I instead, what I feel is a hatred for him. <laughs> what, what, what sucks is Chunk is, he often says smart things. Like the fratellers go in there and he's like, hey, those are adults with weapons. We shouldn't go in there. <laughs> they constantly don't listen to him saying very, th- because he's fat, they're like, you can't have a good thought. Oh, in your no, head. He's a coward. And clumsy. He also drops everything. Like there's one point where Mikey depends on his clumsiness in order like yeah. i don't want to break this thing so i'm gonna give it to chunk so he'll break it but chunk also finds the bullet holes and then relates that back to the big chase in the beginning right. and says guys we should not go in here but he's fat though so and, and he's a coward so like yeah it's it he is right when he says we shouldn't go take out these adults with guns but every time they're about to do something cool, he's there saying we shouldn't do this, yeah, and that's another he's thing a that totally year old. <laughs> like he's right. But we have we as a group of friends have never done anything fun without right before we did it. My going, should we not do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's the chunk. The other thing too, I, I realized about this movie is that it's definitely a TBS movie for me because this was like the second or third time maybe I've seen the first five minutes in the hundreds of times I've watched this movie. Yeah, and. I like the little intros to all the characters are very interesting, including mm-hmm. Chunk, where he sees a uh, car chase going on, and if you weren't sure that he was fat, he's going to smear pizza yes. and like strawberry shake all over him. Because this comes from a time where people were like, "Why are people fat?" And then they were like, "It's probably because they're just like disgusting slobs." And so that's supposed to show what a disgusting slob he is that he won't even notice that he's like smearing pizza and shake on the window. Mm-hmm. It's just his normal. His normal is that, so he won't even notice. Mikey and Brand. 
they, good they, brothers or the best brothers? They, they're fucking amazing brothers. There's once the the douchebag drops off papers that the parents aren't home, so the guy's like, "Well, you, I'm a lawyer, so you better get this to your parents because we're stealing your house." Mwahahaha. They just share like a like they've been at each other's throats a little, and then they just like hug and they're like, "Life sucks. We're gonna get through it." See, like, yeah, it's a very sweet moment. I feel like we only get. Like either brothers where the older brother is just a real big dickhead, or brothers where they love each other. I I don't have a brother, but there feels something very real about the fact that he alternates between being antagonist and fellow protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like they sometimes have to sneak by him, and other times he's like on their side, and sometimes they're feuding with him, and sometimes he's supporting them. Like or like in the end, ultimately he's protecting them and looking mm-hmm. out for them. Greg, come on, you've got two brothers. And we're gonna beat the shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after we make you dance, wipe that chocolate off your face. You guys are both the the big brother, right? Do you guys have big brothers? I have one, but he's like fifteen years older. Okay, because I only had one friend who had a notable big brother in the time when I was growing up, and the big brother was like abusive. And yeah, so when yeah. I think of big brothers, I think of someone who just like waits to jump you anytime you go home. <laughs> I uh I had stepbrothers who lived across the country, so it really did feel like uh my older brother would wait and try to fit in a year's worth of older brothering. Because <laughs> uh, I definitely remember him like singing the Halloween theme song, chasing us around oh slowly God. with a knife. Like, <laughs> but now he's one of my favorites. Do- so he's great. He walks wait, in hold the door on. Putting soap into a sock. Here we go. <laughs> Sing the Halloween song. <laughs> while while like having a dead-eyed blank stare and just like. Slowly pacing, trying to chase us with a knife. Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's uh, Halloween time. I also had a younger brother, so some advice: if you live cross country from your younger brother, uh, take an envelope, address it to their house, fart in it, and then mail it to <laughs> nice. them. And that's yeah. how you be an older brother. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about uh, because we briefly hit on it, but not really. Uh, Andy and Steph are Goonies, and they fight against it and then some of the goonies like the boy goonies fight against it but ultimately they are uh there is uh in the behind the scenes shit i watched there's um storyboards where the two of them have to take the goonie oath halfway through the movie okay and then they were like you know what fuck that like let's not do it do you guys think that andy and steph were well served in this movie i stephanie comes out as the smartest out of all of the kids that we meet maybe out of all the characters she's constantly like She's not. She doesn't. Isn't shown as a coward like Chunk, but she's pragmatic in all the decisions she makes throughout. And she's like Mouth, but she's not annoying. Like she'll pop off, but it's not grating the whole time. She's also like Mikey in that in the middle of this big adventure, she's like putting up these little side adventures that are just for her yeah. amusement. <laughs> like so, she's like. I mean, in a way, she's like she's like the gooniest of all of them because while they're doing all of this, she is still also kind of running them through her own side quest. Yeah. She might like, should have been the star. Like her, uh, like that whole thing about uh, Mikey kissing Andy. I know it has its gross connotations, but also Steph watching it the whole time. Yeah. I like I related to that so hard. Like all people exist for you to pull pranks <laughs> on and then never tell them about. And I do think Steph watching wow. it happen and like the prank she's pranking her best friend takes a little of the creep factor out of it. Uh huh. Yeah, well, it, I I will always maintain that in the universe of the of the movie, it's not that it's creepy. It's that it, it's that adults put right. the universe together so that it wouldn't be creepy in the movie. And Andy is interesting because I guess Steph says she doesn't want to be Goonie, but like she's 
pretty fine with it. And obviously has like there's a spin-off prequel with her and Mouth. Like they obviously are close. And Andy is fighting. Like she could easily be with the snobs and like walks that tightrope of where should I be in this world. But like one of the one of the reasons that I think this this movie works and it appeals to like if you're right at that age is that Steph is three or four years older than your average Goonie and Mouth gets her. And if like you know, like Steph is into mouth, and if like if you're that age, that's sort of the sort of girl that you're into, you know. Right. Like uh, that means that I can do it. It's not about beating pirates. It's like, could I get Steph? That would be awesome. Uh, there's only one more left. I don't know. Data. How, how are we gonna do this? But it's data, guys. How does data come off in the movie? I think it's his love of booby traps, and it started to confuse me because then I'm like, wait, backstory. Did he invent all the ones that are at Mikey and Brand's house? Like, <laughs> so he comes up there and lo- looking into the actor, like it's it's hard because he is the most cartoonish with the things he does. But there's times where he is acting his balls off yeah. and like gets legit mad and scared, and kind of is showing the kids how they should be reacting to this stuff. He might be the best like child performer of all of all the the kids um and it's a very racialized yes portrayal and it definitely deals with tropes about asian americans and their their adherence to technology or their their their... once his dad shows up especially yeah (laughs) but i feel like even with that and so sort of baked into the character is a lot of that that racism it for the most part i think it does manage to like steer clear of getting too gross i was surprised how steer clear because and it really feels like again if we watch the prequel chunk shows up so that's where mouth directs everything at i'm so glad that mouth didn't turn his mouthiness on data and yeah, you can see that Data found Chunk. So yeah, Data's like, I can't deal with all your of that horrific shit. stuff. Uh, but it also seems like Data is like this sweet, smart kid. And uh-huh. so nobody, like everybody sort of picks on each other. And at most they go, oh, Data. Or yeah. like he's like fun because he's going to invent cool shit that works. Also, yeah, he's going to be fucking rich. Like, so they should be nice to Data. Take, take us they- with you, Data. The other things that I loved about this rewatch that I realized that I loved when I was a kid but didn't fully realize is the mom just so of like Mikey and Brand's mom just saying like Data please yeah. stop you know like they're all so don't zip line through our screen door <laughs> yeah but they're like they're all in each other's houses constantly yeah. like it's all one big yeah. family and she's like but I mean like it'd be great if you like didn't ruin screen doors anymore <laughs> all right gentlemen points are almost up it's time for the speed round the that's what I said, Gag. What are we doing here? It oh seems my. like it's it seems like it's Mikey's thing, but then the mom does it, and then yes. a couple of other characters. It seems so much like a placeholder gag. Like we're gonna have a reoccurring joke, and we're not sure what it's gonna be. So let's have it be this one at first. They they sit on it every single time, and it's just not that funny to have someone go booty traps. You mean booby traps? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, one that is the most racist. This movie is is he says stuff. Isn't that funny? And the actual joke, like, if you're not going racially, it's it, it's dumb and silly to say booby traps anyway. Why is booty traps any dumber? They're both <laughs> sexualized things. But if this movie is about uh, not just puberty, but, like, specifically male puberty and then becoming a man. Data's then a butt man. <laughs> it is sort of part of it of, like, uh, oh, no, as I'm becoming a man, I realize that I always have to argue against you if you ever find anything wrong with me. I'm just going to stand here and... Like, I have no point. There's no reason, but mm-hmm. I'm going to argue with you anyway. 
Uh, where does this movie land on the importance of found family versus blood relations? Oh, found family is so much more important. Them saying you are a Goonie, we're all Goonies. Finding like Sloth jumping from the Fratellis to the Goonies is saying fuck your real family. The people who treat you right are your family. Which I is, relate I mean, to like, that. Sloth a- was going to do that already, but he definitely decides after Mama Fratelli was like, I'm so sorry that I kicked the living shit out of you <laughs> your entire yeah, life. Yeah, that I did not remember that the reason Sloth is Sloth is she did that to him as a baby. One thing I, I, I think that complicates the message of the movie, and this is just what happens at several different times of the movie, is to have all their parents suddenly show up right mm-hmm. at the end and then be so, for the most part, so loving and so caring. I thought that kind of watered down the message of like your real family is these people who you like mm-hmm. draw to yourself, your found but family. One, if they didn't do that, it would be much darker and you'd have to figure out what is really wrong with their families. And two, it does like, this is how it feels to be a kid. You, your parents have jobs and they're busy and there's things, they, it's, it's, there's stuff above your pay grade as a kid. So yeah. you think your parents suck. And you don't see all the things they are doing for you. So this is what it feels like. Like you're And you lost think alone that if you time. just disappeared, they wouldn't yeah. even bother to look for you. But the second you do disappear, they like stop going to their Everything. jobs. And, yeah. yeah. But like I think that's the most Spielbergian touch though, is that like we think it is like, oh my god, a pirate ship. But I think what it really is, is especially early in his career, it's uh your parents are either doing stuff that you don't care about or specifically not caring about you. And all of the movies that he made in these first like ten years of his career whether he directed or produced or had the idea for or whatever, is like, no, you have to go out and do it. Otherwise, it will never happen. You know, like, your parents care about different things, and what they care about is not important. That's the Spielberg thing. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in Back to the Future, which is not, again, directed by him. Is it me, or do these Goonies have a lot of freaking rules? Yeah, there's like eight different times in the movie where they're like they reference like that this is something Goonies say or what do we right. say about it's like what do we man, not say? This is a real big, language police. They never show you like the codified rules, but it's you know in the beginning of the movie you think that these are just friends that happen to have a nickname. By the end of it, you're like, oh no, this is like a little army. <laughs> and and that is that is such the outcast kids. You have so much time to think. It's like why we get into D and D as nerds. Like the, yeah. I like rules. I like it's. Okay, I, I don't understand your normal rules, so we make our own here, like, and you better fucking follow through. Throughout the movie, the kids, we went over this a little bit, but let's get into it now. Throughout the movie, the kids talk over each other. Is this to show how a group of kids actually talk, or is this just messy chaos and poor filmmaking? I think it's yes. because, the, I, I honestly, it's, it's definitely a combination of both, but I, I think in part it's to show us that a group of kids is almost like an organism unto itself. And that it has its own sound. And it's not just the sound of five children. It's the sound of a group of five children. It's and this movie cacophony. Captu- yeah. And this movie captures that. And when you're a kid, it doesn't sound so terrible. But when you're an adult, it sounds like it's like the worst sound. <laughs> it's so crazy to look up Richard Donner stories about Goonies because there's so many that are like, this is the best experience he's ever had. And he loved making this movie. And I think that's all hindsight. And then during it, he was just like... He wanted to murder all of them. Like yeah. they're not they're not just playing the character. Like they're all fucking young little pieces mm-hmm. of shit and he could not wrangle them. And it's about uh, kids that pop off and they just popped off nonstop. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh some movies are about acting, some about costumes, others are based around stellar special effects. The Goonies is a movie about amazing sets. Are they as epic as you remember from your childhood? This yeah. is this is the 
this is the best set I've ever seen in my entire life. Like eighties, I've been going off about like the magic or like the, the the effects, the the costumes and everything. The magic that goes into these fucking sets, dude. This set is immense. I know they use trick photography to make the boat look bigger than it really was, but still, that soundstage has like a water slide on it, and mm-hmm. then a huge tank of water that also holds a pirate ship. That's nuts, dude. Yeah. It, was, it was actually smaller. The pirate ship was so, so big. They had to use trick <laughs> photography to make it look teeny tiny. <laughs> but we just like now, I mean, that would be like a bunch of people standing on green cubes in front of a big green wall. And no matter wh- how cool you made the picture on that wall look, it would kind of look like that. And instead, this is like, that's a place. That cavern with that boat, that's a place. And they were hanging out in it. And there's a point where it doesn't really feel like it. Like, it looks like a... Uh, uh, a screenshot from like 1956's Peter Pan until they all climb on it and yeah. then you're like oh no that's that yeah. fucking pirate pitch is right there <laughs> yeah you can see that they're using forced perspective and so it causes the ship to look like a little painted but right. that's a ship dude you get and, and when they do stuff like you feel that why the green cube sucks you feel the weight of rocks falling you feel yeah. the weight of them falling through stuff because they are <laughs> <laughs> and also going back to the puberty thing like once they get on and then off that ship it's done. Like they start kissing. You can see yeah. like hairs sprouting out everywhere. Like they are ready to go it's to be the adults. relationship. Oh shit! <laughs> we probably have to end it there. When we come back, <laughs> let's hand out some awards. May I have the envelope, please? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Goonards, the award show that is. Specifically for the movie The Goonies, I forgot as host to look up if it got nominated for any Academy Awards. What do you guys think? No. I'm gonna say no. Set design, not maybe. E- not even sets. What about Production pirate ships? Design. Best pirate ship. Uh, we're gonna start with um, an award that I like to call the Gooniest because that is the name of the award. Um, Mike, who's the Gooniest? So. There are a lot. I, I thought it might have been the Gooniest moment. I didn't realize this was a character. There's only one person they scream at for being a Goonie. Uh, I'm gonna say based on his teeth grappling hook. Uh, I have to think it's Data with all of his adventure uh, inventions. He is such a damn Goody. An adventure. His that guy adventure went on fucking adventures. adventures. The Gooniest Goonie is clearly One Eye Willie. Uh, who hovers above this whole thing as a presence, but we don't actually meet him. But they sort of like, they do his sort of Goonies master thesis. And they like, he becomes like the most important member of the group because he's the one who binds them together ultimately by this challenge and then provides them like with the jewels and the way to like all stay together. Ryan. It's very clearly Mikey. You guys are both idiots. (laughs) Uh, Next one is Kids Most Wanted. Greg. Yes. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a kid, watch this movie, and be like, oh, gimme. Yeah, uh, it's this just comes from my own childhood, uh, and I realize now that it's shared by all the kids in this movie. It's that big ship. Like, just to be in the water next to a big pirate ship and to know that you're going to get to go over and swim and, and be on it. Uh, I would like probably rearrange my my whole life so I could just keep going back to that ship. Well, I guess it sails away at the end and dies, but still, though, we have a movie of the year segment called Shopping Spree. Yeah, and I'm glad we didn't do it on this one Aww. because if that's when we draft stuff, and it's like pick first or don't pick at all. Yeah, because <laughs> I want that goddamn. What do you get? Ship. The Fratelli's bullet hold ridden car. Yeah, who's gonna be the person who's like, I want that bag of obviously plastic jewels. <laughs> Mike, 
What beats a pirate ship? Yeah, I, I guess I can't do the pirate ship. So it's uh, I, I true. I wanted this my entire life as a kid. Is uh, a, a kiss from a girl. A kiss from a girl on a grave. Uh, a best friend who lives across the street. <laughs> but most importantly, a zip line from my house to their house. Oh shit! <laughs> That's even better than like a slide, right? Yes. Like, a slide or a pole from second story to first story is the dream. But a zip line. I, and he's putting his life on the line every single time he does it. I get the sense from watching the movie this time that Mikey and Data are actually like best friends. That the yeah. two of them are like the closest and that they have like almost. Do you see, anytime the four of them are walking, Data and Mikey are arm in arm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why like, they're, like, just, they're, they're both, both into inventions and yeah. contraptions and everything. It's never said, but I think I feel like it's pretty clear over the course of the movie that they're like best buds. Mike. That's, yeah, you think it'd be pirate shit, but it's zipline. The next one is cringiest moment. We've talked about a bunch. But, like, I will say that, like, we've talked about a bunch in sort of a, an okay way. Like, I don't know if this movie was, like, overly offensive. Greg, what do you think gets this award? I don't think this movie suffers from super cringe. But the the character of, um, not Steph, of Andy, um like has some weirdness to her and doesn't seem like a fully realized person in the same way that Steph is. And that's characterized most explicitly when she says that thing we mentioned earlier that like, she just should have let the guy. Don't I have a beautiful body freak out? Yeah. Like let him look at my body because it's such a beautiful body. It's just, that is like, so it's obviously conception of not a young woman, but instead of like a man thinking of like, I don't know. It's just, it's very creepy and gross. And, and I think it gets to the heart of what is kind of creepy about several things that happen with that character in the movie. You're watching it, and you think, like, I don't know. I think this movie's doing okay. And then that meltdown's like, oh, man, this is, like, how many girls think this? You gave it all back. That, like, yeah, taking them all back. Mike? Uh, mine, if I cannot do that one, there's a moment. So there's a lot of moments of look how fat Chunk is. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to say where he knows they are murderers, knows they have weapons, and is trying to escape because his friends all abandoned him. And then stops trying to escape because he sees ice cream and is so into ice cream <laughs> that he doesn't notice the corpse and then gets locked in the freezer there. They have Mississippi uh, mud, Mike. So I that made me like, this poor young kid actor, there's no way those other kid actors didn't do the same shit they did to Chunk to him. Yeah. And also, let, let's keep in mind that uh, Chunk is movie fat. There's so many other kids who are far more oh, badly yeah. obese than this kid. He, he's got a couple of extra pounds. Yeah. And that's part of what I went through when I was a kid, is I was fatter than Chunk was. So I, it, it's always painful when the fat mm-hmm. character is fatter than you, and then they like treat him like he's the most disgusting thing ever. And you're like, I wish I looked like yeah, that. Yeah, dude, I would love it. If I could shave a few <laughs> LBs, get down to that Chunk weight. My shuffling I've, days I, I, are over. <laughs> I used to do that about Bob Belcher, and now I'm doing that with Homer Simpson. <laughs> uh, but no, this is Andy's meltdown. I really think the movie is doing a good job until yeah. that whole thing. Uh, director's signature moment. So this is a guy who made Lady Hawk in the same year that The Goonies came out. Uh, still finding his way. Is he like a mainstream guy? Is he like a director for hire? He did make Superman. Uh, what do you guys think is the... And I would say that this is the... Dick Donner lessest movie of all time. Like this is definitely more Spielberg. Mm-hmm. When uh when a lot of the cast says that Spielberg directed a bunch of this, I see it. But what is Dick Donner's signature moment, Mike? I, I do think like Superman being his his biggest in and that is him saving Margot Kidder and the, the music swell. It is like I think he injects these moments of majesty that are iconic and why everybody loves the union and remembers it is the kids running out 
seeing the pirate ship, the music swells underneath it. And I think there's always that shot in his stuff. I haven't seen Lady Hawk, but I bet Michelle Pfeiffer runs out, sees Rudger Hauer, and the music swells ominously. It would be basically the same thing. If you came around the corner and just saw 80s era Rudger Hauer standing there, it would be the same <laughs> thing. Like, if, yeah, dude. <laughs> in real life, to stand and look at that guy, I'm sure that's what it would be like. The pirate ship shot. Greg, what do you got? I, you know, I struggle with this one, and it, it, the, but I was looking at his whole catalog, and I noticed the Lethal Weapon movies, and I thought that this movie is doing the same thing that Lethal Weapon's doing in that he puts together groups of people who don't get along, but they like love each other, and he does this found family action comedy formula thing. And it's like, it takes these people who are diverse and have different perspectives. And so they bicker their way through life and death situations constantly. And so it's like that, that being on the edge of dying and still being like, and you leave your fork in the, in the sink too long. And you, you know, do your dishes, bitch, while plunging to your death. I think that's good. And I think that like, you really tried to be a filmmaker while also, really only being hired for like blockbusters but i'm going to give it mike uh, to mike for being more specific and then also uh mike in a way sort of pointed out his spielberg minus you know like the most effective moments of this movie is when donner is trying to be spielberg instead of donner and that has to hurt like that's got to be rough the last one is pound for pound performance greg despite the amount of screen time who do you think gave the best performance in this movie mike uh- brought up this scene earlier uh i'd say this movie is like honestly marked by a lot of people doing pretty bad work in terms Mm -hmm. of acting because they're doing acting specifically for kids movies but there is somebody who delivers a performance that is virtuoso and like you get transported and it's the dead body from inside the freezer (laughs) who like chunk can't get him off of him this guy i kept having to remind myself like he's not really dead so like he's keeping his face completely still and like always <laughs> leaning on chunk and like like pressing his face re- without blinking or anything i have never seen a performance like this before and pound for pound yeah he's hardly in the movie but i believed i had to keep telling myself that guy's not really dead that's how much i believed it i think i forgot to give mike a point for that last award mike. but uh for this one yeah like uh we didn't see him flinch or anything when Chunk was like, oh, my God, a dead body. But right there is Mississippi mud. And then he went towards the guy's <laughs> face and he was totally fine the entire time. Mike, pound for pound. I uh, talked about it a little earlier in the script, I think, because of uh, the goofiness around what he does, like slide shoes and uh, the teeth thing. But I think Jonathan Kwan, who plays Data, uh, when he's acting, is fucking great. And there's a specific time. Data freaks out. Data is sick of it. And they all kind of get this. But they all do it in a really childish way. And Data has a line that he says, Data is fucking tired of falling and tired of skeletons. <laughs> and he does it like every other kid would like mugs in their version of this line. Like, isn't it cute? And Data looks angry and scared and just fully embodies what he's saying there. And it's great. Mike. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, and also, I like, I don't think he had that accent, you know, like, <laughs> he he could have just, like, uh, gone around that accent, but they were like, no, talk Asian, and then he had to do all those lines with doing that, and I think that, that data does shine. Uh, so those are, are your awards. Your most goony is Mikey, which was picked by me. Uh, kids most wanted is Zipline. Uh, cringiest moment is Andy's meltdown. I wish that I had just hung out with the dude who wanted to look up my skirt. Uh, director's signature moment is the pirate ship. 
a.k.a. Spielberg Jr., and your pound-for-pound performance is Data. When we come back, we're going to see how this movie will do in the bracket. So, again, we're in the middle of a journey where we have to figure out 1985. We have watched Brazil, and we have watched Come and See. We've watched The Breakfast Club, and we have now watched The Goonies. And at a certain point, very soon, I thought that we were like in the beginning of the season, but it turns out like we are almost wrapping this up. We're gonna because yeah, we saw decisions. After Hours as well, and Back yeah. to the Future, and Back to the Future, yeah. So, uh, we're gonna have to make some decisions, and I, I have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> Do you know, Mike? Well, oh, where the season's going to go, or where the Goonies is going to go? Oh, uh, uh, no. Where the, yeah, where the season, how it's going to land. Oh, no. My Pasha is not for that. I also don't know where it's going to I, go. I mean, I, I think that the Goonies could stack up against some competition and maybe maybe move on. I feel warmer about this movie than maybe I did about After Hours, maybe. I feel warmer about this movie than I felt about it my entire life. Watching it as I'm surprised that watching it as an adult, that I'm like, oh, th- there's Mary here where I never saw it before. Because growing up the way I did, it was, nope, I've laid my my alliance with Monster Squad, so I have to hate the Goonies. And who watching told, it, I'm like, oh. Who told you that this was something, you, like, that this was a position you had to take? My entire, everybody around me my entire life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to dig your trenches. and and I hung out with the weirdest gangs of all time. Watching the Goonies, the, the, I think there is merits here. But also watching Monster Squad last night. Monster Squad's still better. Uh, but yeah, I think Goonies is, hey man, you made it this far. Isn't that good for you? I will say that uh, Mike and I share a love for Monster Squad, and it is not better at all. Uh, so and it's not just because of the Goonies came first, but like, there's something in the Goonies that I realized this week, which is... Goonies? It really is... <laughs> it's the Goonies. <laughs> it really is sort of like a poorly acted, poorly directed, poorly edited movie. Like... Especially up against a lot of the stuff that we've watched so far this season. But it does it does know how to hit on this thing that I don't know if has ever been done like that since or before, you know? Like there's this thing where like if you are this specific age, you get so fucking jazzed. Yeah. And the movie is for that specific age mm-hmm. that I actually sort of do think it is great, even if it's not great. I mean, yeah, like it, capturing twelve-year-oldness. Yeah, it's for it's just like I, I don't mean this in a negative way. It's for kids. Like it, it's not even made for people like nostalgia watching it. It's made for people who are actively twelve or thirteen because it it sounds like them and it talks to them and it cares about what they care about and it wants to make jokes that are funny to that group of people and that's not going to be jokes that are funny to most other groups. I mean, I would say it's for kids until. Brand and Steph and Andy join up, and then really it is seven kids. Oh, because yeah, <laughs> math jokes. You know what? That's good enough. Good enough. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, it's eighty-five as fuck, and I think that might be enough to carry it. You know, like it's it's hard to just uh, discount it because mm-hmm. we're this age. But I, I think there's other movies who hit that and are better films that might take that it out we've of, already watched. That, right? Yeah, yeah, that might take it out. No, I mean Ron. <laughs> but uh, like, that, think about how much this, this movie is punching above its weight. Like, what other like straight up children's movies have we yeah. talked about on this show? Right. So it's like it's it's a it is the movie. It's like the kids' movie of the year, maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I'm mean, very excited to do like all dogs go to heaven for ninety two. But <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like, see that that's gonna be painful because the three of us believe that no dogs go to heaven. Yeah, and that is what people. we will always believe. <laughs> uh, but no, like, uh, I think that we've only done Toy Story two. I think that's the only kids movie that we've done, and that's just like that's in a different class. Yeah. This is something who was like, uh, what if twelve year olds want to feel what it's like to be fourteen? And that's so specific, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> All right, let me uh, let me talk about my next best friend, Greg. You oh, said that you were not going to win this. I did say that because you won Brazil, and you won Come and See, and you got twenty six points. And I don't know by you declaring that does that make you seem like you're better than the Goonies? Because Mike got twenty seven points <laughs> and is the victor of this movie. Oh shit! Even with a last minute point a second ago for Greg. Yeah, I are thought. You, are I, you I, counting I, that last minute point, Ryan? Yes. I thought Greg was going to – it felt the whole time that Greg was destroying because he liked the movie more than me and Ryan liked the movie, and that's how points are handed out. You know what's weird is Drop Pad has this thing that it says that it's like reg. And you think like, oh, that's a Greg point. But no, he's just saying reg. Yeah, Which he, he does. He does it on the reg. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's for Reginald Bell Johnson, who actually did win. Carl Winslow did win tonight. Uh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm glad that we did it. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad that we watched it. I think that it does. I think that it could get out of the first round. It, I, I do like, and uh, I, I'm an adult, so I can do this, uh, and I can be introspective, that I, I can put away some of my hate for it. Like, I really gnashed my teeth for decades when this movie came up, and I'm going to stop. I do think that there are times, as an adult, as somebody who grew up on the movie, there are times where what I used to think was charming is no longer. Yeah. Mouth. And fuck this movie. <laughs> it's mostly mouth. And it's mostly mouth. And then there are a lot of times where, like, oh, I get it. You know, I, I, I understand that, like, this is super charming. This is everything that kids want to watch in a movie. And, the like, I bet it will work for the next generation and the one after that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, Goonies. I, I still think it could start off a little bit, a little bit quicker. This has that 80s, like, boring period at the beginning of it. 80s movies were all boring for at least the first half hour. And Goonies certainly does that. Greg, do you know what doesn't do that? What do you doesn't? know what throws with you in the Monsters v. Kids in the first 15 <laughs> minutes? It's the Monster Squad. <laughs> Patreon, write in and uh, choose that we do the Monster Squad for the 85 season, a year that the Monster Squad did not come out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's it. We'll see. Uh, next week, do you guys know what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Somebody should. Mish- not Machinima. What's it called? Mishima. Mishima? Oh, yeah. That's, that's going to be so fun, dude. That'll I have no be... idea what this movie's about or nope. what to expect at all. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. It's not a kid's movie. Uh, so until then, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, for Greg, for Mike, I'm Ryan. And, of course, keep watching them movies.